Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the best show. Hey, everybody. My name is Tom. I'm the host of the show, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Legend. I would say icon, but no icon, according to her new book. Kim Gordon will be on the show in a little bit. And let's get a couple little tech glitches, and it's time to get to business. And I'm not going to dilly-dally any more than I already am. So, Pat, I yes. ask you, I beg you, please, I beseech you, play the theme, would you? Yeah! 
is, and the best show is underway, and my name is Tom Sharpling, and I'm the host of tonight's episode, and I welcome you all to the party that is the best show, and boy, is this a party, and we're at it, and we're standing close together at it. It's not a socially distanced party, because it's on your computer, and you don't have to, wait, what? You can get coronavirus from your computer? Uh Uh-oh. No, you can't. Not that I know of, at least. You sit back, you relax, maybe you dip into the old medicine cabinet, see what's in there. Right? See what'll uh, make your night go a little better, or perhaps a little bit of a God's green herb, as some of you uh, like to partake. And, um... Yeah, man. Best show. Got a great episode uh, all lined up for you and excited about. I got uh, Kim Gordon coming up. The the uh, the rock star. Rock star? Is that? No. She, one of the many hats he has worn is that of rock star. And yeah, we'll talk to her in a little bit. So, I says to you, welcome, and it's December now, month 12 of 2020. How about that? What do we got going on? We got, uh, what's in the news? What's in the news? Anybody? It's, uh, I've been watching a fair amount of uh, uh, YouTube clips of the David Letterman uh, from the 80s and... It's a good way to wind down at the end of the night. And some maniac, and I say it with, with love, this guy's a maniac, has put up all these collections of, of certain guests. They're, they're every appearance on David Letterman. So you can see all of the Albert Brooks appearances, for example, and you see him plugging away and writing bits and it's really entertaining. And then, uh, then you got all the Terry Gar appearances. There's hour upon hour of that. And it's, it's, they're really great. But then there's the Jay Leno appearances. And why would I watch them? Oh, I don't know because I got a little bit of a, a streak where you just got to look at it. Right? You just gotta see what it is. It's like the bad apple, uh, theory that, uh, I believe it was, uh, Descartes who, uh, either it was De- Descartes or it was Tony Danza on taxi talked about the apples and the bad apple machine. Pat, you there? I'm here. You ever watch taxi? Love taxi. You ever see the episode where Tony was saying like, I want to get apples from the apple machine. And then, but the apples are always rotten, but then the good apples are in there. And then they talked to that guy, John. John was a cabbie on taxi. Yeah. He was one of the lesser known. Uh, he didn't, he didn't have a lot of stage time, right? Yeah. He didn't get a whole lot. Well, he says something to the effect that just like, Basically, it's a conundrum that they talk about. They say that the good apples are underneath the rotten apples 
in the apple machine in the uh, garage. And if they eat enough of the bad apples, they can get to the good apples. But then the, 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 the twist is that they're afraid that the apple man is going to say they like bad apples there. They'll eat rotten apples. So we'll just give them rotten apples and they'll never get to the good apples. And then he says, uh, how do we get good apples? And then John says, we can't. And that's how 2020 has felt to, to a certain degree. Is it not? We keep digging, keep trying to get to those good apples, and then we're eating rotten apple after rotten apple. And 2020, at some point this year, says, I think they like rotten apples. I'm going to give them a couple more things. So we find ourselves forcing another rotten apple in our mouths, trying with the futility to get to the good apples. But someday, just like your hero, Pat, Bruce Springsteen says, someday we'll get to that place and we'll walk in the sun and buddy, tramps like us, baby, we were born to eat good apples. I'm paraphrasing, of course. The song is born to run, not eat, born to eat good apples. What do you think of the, 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 the Bruce Springsteen and Trent Reznor look more alike than ever, Pat? What do you think of that? That currently they look more, in 2020, they look more alike than they ever have? Than they ever. Did you ever think you're a young child? Do you, Bruce Springsteen's your hero in your New Jersey home. You're staring at the poster of him. Uh doing his windmill from the Born to Run cover, perhaps. Or maybe you stared at the cover of Lucky Town. (laughs) Um, Hanging on your wall. And then you had on the other wall a Nine Inch Nails poster, and Trent Reznor was a monster. Scary. Now you look. You picture these guys side by side at uh, Crunch Fitness, Right? I'm looking up what Trent Reznor looks like right now. Yeah. That's a celebrity fight that they should do. Okay, I see it. Because they just did this thing, and this was heartbreaking. Jake Paul, everybody knows uh, how my, my feelings toward the Paul family, Jake and Logan Paul. Uh, not unlike rotten apples, I'm fascinated. I keep eating those rotten apples over and over. Jake Paul is a YouTube sensation, as is his brother Logan, and they uh, they do their thing, and then and then they're 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 they are so not good at anything except riding my motorcycles up and down the street and bugging neighbors. So then, but the kicker is. Jake Paul now fancies himself. First of all, Jake Paul, I'll just give, give you a little insight into this guy. He got caught, uh, being a troublemaker at one of the, uh, one of the Black Lives Matter, uh, protests. Of course, he'd be one of the 
Again, rotten apples. But then, a few months later, it's like, yeah, I'm voting for Trump. But then, Jake Paul is now a boxer. And he did some celebrity boxing the other day. And who did he box? Nate Robinson from the New York Knicks, former New York Knicks, not a current New York Knicks. Nate Robinson, who I believe is 5'3", something like that, 5'5". And I never wanted someone to win a fight more than I wanted Nate Robinson to win that fight, but Jake Paul knocked him out. And I was like, that's 2020 for you. Jake Paul knocking out Nate Robinson. But, you know, there's kind of a good side of that in a way, because Jake Paul now thinks he can, like, just beat people up, and then he's going to, like, oh, boy, he's going he's gonna to bite off more than he could chew on his next match. He's going to think, oh, I knocked out Nate Robinson. Who else can I knock out? Next thing you know, his head's going to be rolling across the ring, clear off his shoulders. Maybe Jake Paul will fight. uh, Maybe Jake and Logan Paul can fight Bruce Springsteen and Trent Reznor, a two-on-two boxing match. Has there ever been two-on-two boxing where you could just trade who you're punching? They could do uh, like a WWF-style tag team. But I'm, of course you can. You could do that. But maybe that's what boxing, just straight up boxing is missing. Four people in a ring, two teams, and you punch the other team, and you pick who you punch, and two of you can punch one person at the same time. Then you punch the other one, or you each square off and you punch each other. I think I just fixed boxing. You're welcome. You watch the Queen's Gambit, Pat? Not yet. Jason, did you watch Queen's Gambit? I did, and I loved every second. You loved every second? Every second. I was in it. Chess is back, baby. Chess is back. I'll tell you right now. I said it on Twitter. I'll say it right now to the best show audience. You're in the market for a chessboard. You'll wait four months. There's going to be a lot of chessboards for sale. A lot of people buying chessboards. Ooh, I want, I want to try chess because I felt it. I watched that thing and there's a part of me that's just like, yeah, I should probably start playing chess. And I'll go get a chessboard and I'll be like, oh, this is impossible. I'll put it away. And then next thing you know, I got a chessboard hanging out with me the rest of my life. Then you gotta, you gotta walk it over to, to, uh, uh, to a dumpster or to Goodwill or, or, or leave it on a park bench for a kindly stranger. You want a chessboard. They're going to be hard to get now. Cause every one of these, uh, every one of these meatheads, every, every ham and egger out there is like, yeah, I'm going to play chess now. Trust me. You're all not that janitor. And you're not, you're certainly not her. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a buyer's market for chess boards very soon. 
How do I know that? I wanted a chessboard. I did think it was, uh, strange though. I thought it was like a, like a, uh, what do they call that? When you cat like a little blooper and anachronism? Is that what it is? My team guys? A blooper, what, in Queen's Gambit? Yeah. Which part? When she was playing, she had a chessboard and, um, one of them was, uh, the Matrix. It was like the cast, it was like the characters from the Matrix were the that was, chess pieces. That was my, that was my favorite part. I was just like, I don't think the Matrix was out at this point, 1967. Those were just the pills doing that on the ceiling though, right? And I'll say this. Maybe not supposed to say this. Anybody got any of those chest pills? You got some chest pills? Let me know. I wonder if they're just going to start selling those chest pills now. They got chest <laughs> pills. Who needs chest pills? Want to see some pieces move on the ceiling? Take two of these. That Queen's Gambit was a nonstop stomach ache of worrying. Ah, I still liked it. I still give it the old thumbs up. And I know a lot of you people are saying what you always say. Tom's old crab apple, right? The old crab apple like the chess game, chess movie, chess. What's it called? Chess King? What? No, Chess King is uh, a clothing store where an inordinate amount of your favorite comedians seem to shop. Some not well-dressed comedians. Pat, we got a call? Got a, a good call? Anybody? Yes, let's go to line one. That show. Hello? Hello, to whom am I speaking? Hi, this is Chad in Indianapolis. Chad in Indianapolis? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I don't want to got a lot of tood, Chad. Well, I, I kind of live with it. I just got laid off because my boss gave me coronavirus, maybe. You got laid off because your boss gave you coronavirus? Well, my she's my manager, and my other bosses kept letting her come back to work. After what she, line? What line of work are you in, Chad? I am a uh, I'm a cook. Well, nobody with nobody with an inkling of being sick should be anywhere near food. But that's the problem, Tom. Is everybody who gets sick in this line of work still comes to work? You'd almost think that the government was broken. Well, that might be a thing, but it, you know, it comes down to management at the end of the day. Yes. Now, Chad, what kind of work? You work in fast food? Uh, I work at, at an airport. I'm a prep cook at the airport. I uh, I do prep for about three restaurants. You do prep? Uh, what do you? Let me see if I can guess. Sabaros is one. No. 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 I prep for a kosher deli and a uh, a pub. Oh, so just uh, they're not chains. No, no. Uh, our airport, their thing is not to do chains. It's all local. Well, that's nice. Get a little taste of Indianapolis. Yeah, right. You know, our great, our great Jewish deli and uh, one of our gastro pubs. Mm-hmm. 
How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah. Indianapolis known for their for their rich uh, for their rich multiculturalism. You know, you'd be surprised, but we are the the deli I work for Shapiro's. They've been in business since 1915. Good. Look, I was quizzing you. I was seeing if you were a secret racist. No. Hell All no. Right. All right, Chad. All right. So you have coronavirus? I got my test coming tomorrow, and then we'll see. But my direct contact, I've not been feeling the best the last couple of days. No, oh, no. No. I hope, I hope you're well. I see, all kidding aside, Chad. No, I, I do too. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Now I know why you got a little pepper in your voice. Yeah, yeah. Minor, minor, but I've been cooped up for two days watching movies, you know. Mm-hmm. What movies you watching, Chad? Well, uh, a lot. The best one I watched was the House That Jack Built by Lars von Trier. Yeah, there's a there's a uh, there's a heart warmer to make you feel better during uh, during questionable times. Something to just kind of sit back, kick off your shoes, and watch uh, a Lars von Trier movie where Matt Dillon kills everybody, mm-hmm. murders them all brutally. Children, women included. There's a fun one. Yeah. You know, it's an all right film. I liked it. It is enjoyable. I also, yesterday I watched 1917. That was good. A lot of killing in that one as well. Yeah, that, I didn't, I did not enjoy. I walked out of that. Why? Cause it was like watching somebody play a video game. It was like sitting, you ever sit at someone, you ever watch someone play a video game? It's the most boring thing ever. Uh, God damn! Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, and they and they actually didn't do. It. If they did it in one shot, I'd be like, "All right, I'll watch this." But it's a, it, you can see all the blurs and the the time when they they I, just show the back of a soldier, and then suddenly the cut points are just. I went into it with like this whole like, oh, Sam Mendes did this whole cinematography thing where it was like there's all these continuous shots, you know. So I'm like you know, the idiot I am, I thought, man, did he do this whole thing in one shot? But no, he doesn't. No, of course not. That's impossible. No, no. But you had a good time with it? Uh, yeah, I was. we watched it early in the morning. I wasn't feeling great, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great to lay on the floor and watch kind of movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, sometimes I watch these movies like 1917, and all I think is everybody in this is dead anyway, so what am I doing here? Well, 
Uh, see, I don't, I don't, I don't take it for its historical value or anything. You yeah, know? I mean, if it's like, will he get, will he get back? I don't know. He would have died of old age if he did. Yeah, it'd be like you know watching Pearl Harbor and being like, oh wow, this is a lot of historical fact here. No, no, it's it's entertainment purely. I don't know if I would say that the movie Pearl Harbor is just entertainment. It's educational entertainment. How about that? Well, look. It's still. I wouldn't tell any kid to go write a book report based on that movie. <laughs> fine. That is fine. You might want to go read a book about Pearl Harbor rather than uh, than a Michael Bay movie. Sure. Sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's My book report on Pearl Harbor. It was very exciting, and lots of things blew up. And then Ben Affleck ran around. My my book report of nineteen seventeen. A young British guy, you know, gets called to run to another place and say, "Hey, you might die." You know, it's just uh, whatever. It's it's historical, but is it's not based in fact. So you. So what, what what led you to call the show tonight, Chad? A long time. And bored. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd, you know, I had nothing to do tonight, so I was like, "Hey, I'll call in, get on hold, see what goes down. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll talk to Tom. Maybe I won't. Either way." Well, look at you now, Chad. I, I know, right? It's kind of a good news, bad news thing. And for you, the good news would be getting coronavirus. The bad yeah. news was getting through on the best show. <laughs> uh. No, in all seriousness, buddy. I hope you're. I hope you're okay, buddy. Hey, I appreciate that, Tom. I really love the show. You should probably go take some hydrochloroquine. I'm three doses deep. I'm feeling great. We're good. Don't drink any bleach, though. Oh. Uh oh. Okay. Um. Don't drink any more bleach. How about that? Okay, that's okay. Yes, okay. Thank you. Will Thank you, you call next week and let me know how you're doing? All serious, all, all kidding aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I love the show, and it's been a it's been a privilege, Sir Tom. Well, you're sweet to say that. You stay strong and stay healthy. Fingers crossed for you, Chad. Hey, thank you, Tom. Right, hang up on him. Hang up on him. What else we got, Pat? We have a line five and a line four. All right, let's uh, – oh, wait, line five. That's a surprise guest. Oh, my God. Hold on. Well, I can uh, put them on hold. Just keep them on hold. I'm going to actually – I, I want to do this right. I want to do a good uh... – Go to line one now. Okay, give me one line, and then then we'll do – then I'll talk to the big guest. Best show. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. Who's this? This is Evan in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Babu. Yeah, there you go. A pride of Vancouver is Nardwar. Nardwar. Hey, you know what I heard last night? Sorry, this is God. God, go. I heard Errol. Somebody told me Errol Flynn died in Vancouver of syphilis maybe like he squandered his health through alcoholism and died in Vancouver and like yeah, I think in Vancouver that's called natural causes yeah I think so as well but Errol Flynn 
Go figure. Yeah, man. How about that? I uh, Hey, okay. how are you, Tom? I'm good. Anything else I can do for you? Nah, you might as well. Nah, move on. Let's move on. Thanks for the call, buddy. Well. Hello. Hi. Hi. Who's this? Oh, this is Angela and Ithaca. Angela. <laughs> who said it? Who said it that way, Angela? The great Tony Danza did. Tony Danza. How are things in Ithaca? Things are okay. How are things? Uh, are you still in LA? I am. How's the rock group going? How's my rock group? Yeah. Oh, I don't have one. You don't have a rock group? I know I should. There's there's other there's plenty of other rock groups here. Jessica from Ithaca has a rock group, not Angela. She's she's Nancy Babich, but we did make conversation when I saw her play about how we were both uh, FOTs. I'm getting my Ithaca uh my Ithaca folk confused. Jessica has Nancy Babich. And you, Angela, what, what, what do you have? What is your, what is your, what's your calling card? Oh, geez. Um, I'm a teacher, but that's, that's not that, uh, rocking. That's exciting. What grades? Thanks. I teach fourth grade this year. Okay. Virtually from my little teaching cave in my house. You're zooming it up. How's the zoom going? Oh. Terrible. I mean, it's kind of painful. Do kids ever say, uh, like, oh, my screen was frozen? Oh, yes, like 100% of the time. That's most of my day is kids telling me about how their screens are frozen and glitching and all that stuff. I got to log off. My screen's frozen. Oh, yeah. Is that what they say? Oh, yeah. Lots of continuity being interrupted every 15 seconds to hear about tech issues. Well, you're doing, you're doing, uh, you're doing some good work there, Angela. And it might not be easy, but you're, you're helping things and it's very important. And I tip my hat to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have a writing question for you as you are a a skilled writer. Mm. Okay. Right now I am, I'm mired in report card writing. Okay. Um, and so part of what I have to do, we come up with narratives for the children, but, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult to come up with positive things to say academically. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could, uh, shoot me some gems. Some positive things to say academically. Yes. Yes. Well. Let's think. Give me a context and I'll see if I can come up with something. Okay. Um, well, so I have a kid here that I'm, I'm really stuck on. He's my last one. And, uh, he, he never participates. Um, or when he does, he does to just like jump in and interrupt or correct somebody or make a joke. Enthusiasm. Uh, He's a very enthusiastic student. That's good. I'll write that down. Very enthusiastic student. 
How about um, the fact that he turns his mic on to make funny animal sounds? How can we spin that? Class clown. Everybody loves it. He's he's got he's has the the he is very interested. His desire to keep the class entertained knows no bounds. Ooh, I like that. That's a good one. All right, that's, I might actually keep that. Um, let's see, what else can I do? How about when he is um, off task about ninety eight percent of the time, and when I check his screen, he's floating around and playing games and looking up cat gifts. He has a myriad of interests. <laughs> this is good. Maybe this is your calling. And he could just, it w- idea, in a perfect world, he could zero in on his studies, but he is, uh, over, he is enthusiastic about so many things, and that's a good thing. That's good. That's good. I'll have to, have to invite you to his virtual conference on Friday. It'll be good. God, you got to let me in on that. <laughs> the kids are leading it. It's good stuff. They talk about their strengths and their goals. Give me wow. another. Give me another one. Now I'm in, now I'm in the zone with this. Oh, you're in a role. Okay. Do you want to do um, a, a one that's a needs work kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. But you want to give it a positive uh, spin? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't. You don't want to crush spirits here. Sure, of course. Okay. Here we go. Um. All right. How about um the kid who um is never shows up to the meetings because they are not paying attention to the time. Uh, we want to come up with a positive thing to say. I know it's a. It's a. These are unique times. Yeah. And of course, uh, the student. It's not hard to see how a student could get distracted. Okay. But, but, uh, but we need to, uh, focus. We need to make sure that, uh, this kid focuses. Okay. All right. I'll give you one more. All right. How about the kid that, um, is consistently saying, um, inappropriate things during meetings and doesn't quite know what should be said out loud and, and what shouldn't? I think you could say, uh, you, they, they are, they, they have a forthrightness that, uh, okay. that is enviable, but again, uh, that needs to be paired with a, uh, a certain amount of, uh, of, of focus on the subject at hand. I like this. This is, this has been genuinely helpful to me. <laughs> really oh, I know. That's why I said it. Feeling stuck. All right, Angela. You do a bunch, you just can't do it. All right. All right. Well, um, have a good show. I'm very Thanks. excited to have Kim Gordon on tonight. I can't wait, right? Can you believe it? No, yeah. It's right. thrilling, legitimately. Yeah. All right, you have a great night. I do want to say uh we have Kim Gordon coming up later in the show, but uh my, uh, we, and actually, you know, over the years we've been doing the show for so long, we've had so many important guests. This is, this is, this is a get. Tonight's a night with two gets is a good way to say it. And, uh, I mean, we've had Zach Galifianakis and Corey Booker and, uh, David Crosby, uh, 
Robert Blotzer. Uh, we had Sanjaya. But tonight, we actually have somebody who is the most famous guest. I can, I can only, I cannot foresee us ever having a more famous guest. And I cannot believe that this guest is on line five. Uh, this is a very private person. And they have only given two interviews since becoming the hero for, uh, the whole COVID-19 race for the vaccine. One was, uh, for Time Magazine last week. It was a cover story. Everybody saw it. The other one was on 60 Minutes this past weekend with Leslie Stahl, a huge interview. And Joe Biden called this guest the most, quote, the most important person in the world right now when it comes to beating the virus. And this is one of them and one of the most one of the I'm sorry, one of the true medical geniuses of our era in league with Jonas Salk, Madame Curie and Louis Pasteur. And uh I mean, by this point, you all know who I'm talking about. It's uh Dr. Blake Wright, the virologist, virologist, virologist. I'm so sorry. And and uh that's I'm a little, look, I'm a little flustered here. You got to excuse me. And I was blown away. The, the possibility of this interview has been hanging over my head for the last 24 hours. And I got a message from his assistant saying he would come on the show. And I said, yes, of course. And I'm a little thrown by why uh, Dr. Wright is doing this. Dr. Blake Wright is doing this. But uh, I'm very flattered. And it's an exciting opportunity. Um, I guess as a side note, and this will be a little interesting, is that uh, his assistant did have a couple caveats uh, that she wanted me to know about in advance because Dr. Blake's uh, subject matter, the world where he lives, is so all-consumingly heavy and and intense he likes to kind of warm up and precede the interviews with eight minutes, and it's exactly eight minutes, a virus-free conversation, kind of like a warm-up, like a verbal warm-up to get uh, get things rolling before we get into the serious vaccine talk. And uh, look, it's a little unique, sure, but this guy's a genius. And if that's how geniuses work, then that's how he works. So I am, his quirks are completely acceptable as far as I'm uh, concerned. Um, His assistant also did say that he can get a little uh, animated and passionate during the pre-interview discussions. So, uh, I mean, I saw the, the 60 Minutes piece and I thought he was really charming and likable. So, uh. I'm curious to see what it is, and I guess it's line five. Do we have uh, Do we have Dr. Blake Wright? Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You know, super busy. It's it's a it's a crazy time, as as we all know. So, uh, um, I, I I did want to say I'm I'm a little ashamed to admit that I I've, I've never heard your program, but my um, my step-niece, Maureen, is a huge fan of the show, and she said that your program would be a great way to reach 
the kids out there and to inform them about the virus and really get them serious about wearing masks because we're really getting to crunch time with this thing. So I, I thank you for, for having me on and being able to address um, the young people out there. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for coming on the show. So your stepniece is a fan of the show? Yes, Maureen. And, and it, it's funny because she, she's been wanting to call into your show for at least a year now to talk at length about Chips Ahoy cookies, but she's, she's very shy. So I, I guess, you know, her, her old step uncle being on, on the good show will have to do for now. Well, the good, that's the best show. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. I, I, oh, I that's okay. No, okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, I'll yeah. Write that down. Okay. Now, Maureen tells me that you're a big music fan. Is is that true? Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm a pretty big music fan. Well, that's awesome. I don't I don't often get to talk about music. So, w- would you like to start? Yeah. I would love it. Okay, here we go. I'm starting the clock right now. Okay. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm 65, so I, I probably have a little more pedestrian uh, musical taste than, than you do. Um, my guys are like the Stones, the Who, uh, I love Dylan, um, Finn Lizzy, the Doors, that classic stuff. How, how about you? I know I like all that stuff. I, I like some some crazier stuff also. Um, yeah. Kind of like some more. I guess I, I guess I don't know what would you call it. More more uh, maybe lo-fi or experimental stuff than than that stuff. But I like all that stuff as well. Oh, yeah. like is it kind of like like punk? Because I was. I was 22 when punk happened and, and I, I, I did find it intriguing and, but you know, I, I was too old to actually, you know, be, be punk and all that. So, so I was, <laughs> this is funny. I, I was pretty much the, the guy at the Elvis Costello or the Clash concert with, you know, with the beard and the, and the sport jacket kind of nodding his head. And sometimes that went over great and uh, sometimes it didn't. And, uh, one time I was thrown into a trash can at a Boomtown Rat show, and I think it was 1979. That was that was wild. Uh, who, who threw you in a trash can? Just some kid, you know, one of those those skinny tie guys with the uh, the wraparound shades, and you know, I had my uh, had my corduroy jacket on, and I had just come from the lab, but I, I I wanted to see the Boomtown Rats. I liked what I heard, and uh, I guess I wasn't punk enough or whatever, and. He was a big guy, and he threw me over his, over his shoulder and just kind of walked me out into the lobby and deposited me in a trash can. Uh huh. And you kind of had no no control over the situation. Nothing, nothing. I mean, he was big, and I was, you know, I I, I wasn't going to fight this guy, but it's you know, it's it's a funny story, and we laugh about it tonight, right? Yeah. No, it's a that's a funny story. You got uh, yeah. Yeah, you had a run in at a Boomtown Rat. So I didn't think those were particularly confrontational gigs. Uh, I thought that their thing was maybe not as, not like a hardcore show or something. What's that? What's what? Hardcore? What? Yeah. Oh, it's like a different, it's a more, a more, uh, it's like a more aggressive punk that, uh, have you ever heard of like Black Flag? No. 
No? Okay. Minor Threat, you ever hear of them? No. SOA? No. Reagan Youth? No. Okay. Well, that's the, those are the kind of bands. So if you don't know, it's very it's very aggressive, and uh, the crowds were a lot more more uh, engaged and confrontational than than uh, than the Boomtown Rats crowd. But I guess you were you found the one guy at a Boomtown Rats show that was looking to mix it up. Absolutely, and I I, I, ne- I never I never listened to the the B Rats again, except for of course when they played at Live Aid. Um, you know, it's funny. I do. I have a band of my own that, that I, I I kind of blow off steam with. You have a uh, who's that? I do. Well, it, it's it's a band I have with some of the other people in in the lab, and and we're called uh, we're called Flagrant Bacterium. Oh, so you you have a okay? Wow. All right. Well, that's cool. What do you play? It's it's, it's all covers. I I I play uh, I play guitar. Okay. And and it's you and and some other people, uh, some other scientists. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's fun because it's an it's an odd mix of people, and we've all got different tastes. We're all all different ages, so we cover a a, a good amount of ground. You know, we've got uh, we'll do a, an REM song, um, the Spinners, uh, Steely Dan, Travis Tritt, um, P Funk, Soup John Stevens, Megadeth. Um, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm having a real issue with our keyboardist, uh, Tim. Uh-huh. What's, what's the problem? Well, Tim is really into, you know, the, the really proggy stuff. And so he wants to do these 12 minute Emerson Lake and Palmer or who's the other thing? A gentle, what are they called? Gentle Giant? Gentle Giant. Yeah. Those kind of songs. And it's like, you know, I can, I can stomach some some yes, you know. Like I love the song. What's the song that goes dun 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 dun? It's almost like a police show. Oh, oh. don't don't don't. Yours is no disgrace. I like that one, and I like the other one uh, that they made into a movie, Starship Trooper. Yeah, I don't know if that was literally the movie. I don't know if the movie was based on the Yes song, but that was a yeah. I think they're all in it. I think they're all in the movie, aren't they? Who's in it? All the guys in Yes. I, the members of Yes, the band Yes, are in the the movie Starship Troopers. I think so. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I haven't seen a movie since. Oh my god, since like a real movie. Ooh. The Sting Two. The Sting Two. Yeah. Long yeah. Time. Long time ago, huh? Yeah. So, so it's not a, not a big priority for you to get out there and uh so you're just two for this thing too and that's the last time you said that. Well, um, you, know, you know, then then virus study kind of took over my life and I sure. got, and I've got I've got my band and my music, you know, so No, of, of course. No, I I that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So like I, I don't know how to handle it with this guy, you know. I I don't like the prog stuff. Do do you? Sure. No, I, I like some prog rock. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. No, I like King Crimson and uh, I like some Yes. I, I like I like Yes. Like, like name name your your favorite Yes album. I guess it would probably be close to the edge. 
Oh, I hate that record. You like that? Yeah, I kind of do. Sure. What do you like about it? Uh, it's, it's kind of got a lot of different parts to it and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know. All right. Here's, here's the true test. What are your, all right. What's your favorite Led Zeppelin album? Probably Houses of the Holy. What? Oh, that record stinks. It's got that fake reggae crap on it. What's it called? Diamaker. Oh my God. I hate that. That record blows. I, I don't know if it, I mean, it's got dancing days on it. That's a good song. I like that. I like that. I do. Okay. Like, I think my favorite's probably four because that's the classic album. Sure, sure. You like you like all the 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 giant hits on that one. I do. Oh, how, how about how about uh, you, you like Neil Young? Oh yeah, I love Neil Young. What's your favorite album? Uh it it, it changes. Uh, one of one of my all time favorites is always going to be Russ Never Sleeps. It's a uh, Probably the first one I fell in love with. That record's like like him doing some hard rock crap. Are you serious? Yeah, I am serious. I I didn't know it was hard rock crap he's doing. It's it's like sure it is. What? It's I mean it's a it's a record. So I don't know what the big deal is. Well, it. Hang on. What was that? Who is it? No, I tell tell him I can't talk to him right now, but but give me like forty five minutes or so. That sounds great. Okay, thank you. I'm so sorry. I I I, I had a a call I have to do. It's it's a whole whole thing. And and um, so let's get back. I'll start the um, clock over again because that's how we do it. Um, Wait, what what's going on here? Oh, we start over. That's. That's the rule. If the, if, if the conversation, if the eight minutes gets, gets interrupted, then we start over again. All right. I mean, I, I thought we had a pretty good flow going here. We must have been pretty close to the eight minute mark. It was about 7.55, but we do, you know, it was <laughs> rules. We do it with- so we're five seconds off on the thing and you can't just, you can't just power through that five seconds to talk about no. the coronavirus. Absolutely not. I mean, it's a platform f- to get a lot of information out there for people, and I I have a specific way of doing things. And if they don't, if they are not followed b- to the letter, okay, the conversation right. is over. Fair enough, Doctor. You are you are the expert, and I appreciate you being on the show. And My pleasure to be here. Then let's start the clock over. Okay, here we go. Um, have you seen this new Frank Zappa documentary? It's made by either Bill or Ted. Yeah, I, I'm not sure which one was Bill and which one was Ted, but uh, Alex Winter directed it. I did see it. What a piece of work that guy is. It's it's like it's like he was condescending the moment he came out of of the womb. You can almost mm-hmm. imagine him him turning to his mother and like critiquing the birth. Like, well, what was what would he say in that moment? 
He probably a, 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 a newborn Frank Zappa would probably turn to, to the world and say, you're welcome. Because I, of his, his mere existence. He's blessed the planet with his first, his first breath. Um, yes. It's interesting. I, I don't think I'd ever heard any of his super early garage band stuff before. You know, like I, I, I've never heard any of his, his early, like pre, pre mothers of invention music. And it was interesting because they had a little bit of that in the movie. And I was surprised to find that even his earliest music made fun of music. Yeah, he certainly had a, a disdain for music when he's saying, I would hear like Mozart and Bach and Beethoven, and I don't like any of that. It's like, well, okay. Uh, right, uh, right, right as, as a teenager, he was already just being like, uh, no, I'll pass on the Mozart. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He stinks. Yeah. He already was just like, I like classical music, but this Beethoven stuff, nah. Remedial stuff. It, it, it's weird. I don't have any of, of his. Big records, you know, like I, I, I've got, I've got a few, but, but I'll I'll go on record as saying nobody fused doo-wop with overcomplicated music and lyrics torn from the pages of Screw Magazine better than Frank Zappa. Yeah, he pretty much, he pretty much had a clear path on that one. King of the Mountain. Absolutely. I think probably my favorite song of his, you know, is, uh, Gosh, um, it's a tough one. It's it's uh, probably G Spot Tornado. That's your favorite. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, probably second, uh, close second. Mm. It's got to be the Illinois Anima Bandit. Sure, of course. No, that's that's way up there. That's a yeah. What's that's your, a lot. Of, what's my favorite? I, I I I think I I think they're all the same. They all just live at the same level for me. Yeah, they're all tied. <laughs> I think they're all. I I see that. All right, here's 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 a quiz for you. Okay, yeah. here's the band. Mm-hmm. Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa. Neil Young, Todd Rundgren, Garth Brooks, Lou Reed, Van Morrison. Six flagrant alphas who all think they're the smartest, most talented person in the room. Who's mm-hmm. the first to defer who's the first to defer to someone else during a creative impasse? Van Morrison would would he would check out the first. He would be the first one to check out. And focus on the the paycheck. What do you think he'd say though? Like, do you think he would he would would he make some excuse or would he just say I don't care about this? I think he would say you're all, and he would probably use a very mean word. <laughs> and, <laughs> you pay, take your pick for what mean word he would use. <laughs> right, probably begins with a C. 
Probably, perhaps. And then, and maybe a word in front of that word and, or a bunch of words in front of that word, potentially. And then he would just say, I'm only here for the money. And then I think he would be the first to, if that was breaking, that would be the him breaking. I think I think you're I think you're spot on with that. I, I think that makes sense. Todd Rundgren also I feel like could could just figure out the financial side of things and and uh, cope with it. Right. Now that makes sense. What would that band be called? The Insufferables. I think that's. I think you named it. Maybe Los Insufferables. Los Insufferables. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be like what you're saying is it's a it's a really weird version of the traveling Wilburys. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. A meaner, a meaner traveling Wilburys. It's the the angry traveling Wilburys. Who is it again? It's Frank Zappa. Uh huh. Neil Young, Todd Rundgren, Garth Brooks, Lou Reed, and Van Morrison. And I love that moment when they would, if they'd say they did handle with care that, that traveling Wilbury song, what right. would it come in and Frank Zappa would be just like that part where it's like, handle me. The part that Roy Orbison sings where he's like, usually it's like, I'm so tired of being lonely. Frank Zappa would come in and be like, I'm so tired. And it'd be like, all of a sudden the, the tempo just changes and it, and it's just vibraphone all of a sudden out of nowhere. Yeah, and he's and he sings in a way that he's making fun of it. Yeah, I'm so tired of being lonely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like he he can't actually sing, so he's going to make fun of it. <laughs> you, you know what's interesting about the movie? What's that? I don't think there's a shot of Frank Zappa in that thing where he's not smoking. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this is a terrible thing for me to say as a medical professional, mm-hmm. but he, he kind of became a cigarette by the end of his life. He really was probably 40% cigarette in terms of like, he must've right. smelled like a cigarette. He looked like a cigarette. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! And that SNL footage—did you see that? Can you imagine that he was a guest on SNL, a host? He he hosted, right? Yeah, he was a musical guest earlier in the in the run, and oh. then like two seasons. I think seventy six, he was a musical guest, and seventy eight, he was the host. Oh my God. Well, he was just like, and he called it a skit. He's like, I thought that skit was terrible. Well, and and then he said they should have let him write sketches or skits, which which he was absolutely correct about. And I would have loved to have seen an entire night of skits about a skeevy guy trying to get on with t- underage girls. I think that would have really been cool. <laughs> yeah, skit after skit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, he, he's a man of, of great contradictions and, uh, you know, there's, oh, you know, there's, there's no doubt that Frank Zappa was a, a true 
one-of-a-kind genius and a cultural leader. And I, I don't say this, I, I, I say this very seriously. He was definitely in, in league with, you know, all of those great pioneers like Ben Franklin, Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, Gandhi, Ali, Hemingway, Jack Nicholson, Picasso. And just like these great men I just mentioned, Frank Zappa also had a deep passion, not only for the betterment of society and human rights, but also for sleeping with women who weren't his current wife. So, but you know, I've got my own addictions. You know, I, I obsessively collect, um, I'm sure you've never heard of these things. They're called, they're called wacky packages. Wacky pack. Oh, those are from the, from the seventies. Have you heard of them? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you, you don't have any, do you? I, I, I've collected them on and off through my life. Sure. I've never met anyone who collected them. Uh, what's your top 10? I'll, I'll, I'll do mine first. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, minute lice, um, blunder bread, botch tape, um, a jerks cleanser. Um, I'm sorry. You're right there. Yeah. I got something in my nose. Um, I, I also like uh, Captain Crud cereal, um, awful bit cereal, um, chock full of nuts and bolts coffee, um, chuck wag, ch- choke wagon dog food, um, hungry jerk. Sorry, this thing is really in my nose. Hang on. There we go. Okay. Um, um, You're right. Hungry, hungry jerk. It's called hungry jerk pancake mix. Uh huh. I think my my favorite is prob- probably um, Jippy Pop no flavor popcorn. Okay, that's a good, that's a pretty good list. I I, I kind of enjoy uh, milk muds, uh, shtick razors, uh, Kook cigarettes, dampers, logs, pantyhose. Lip torn soup, Irish ring soap, and then, uh, yeah, those are some of my favorites. Those are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and pounds also the the cream. Oh, I hate that one. Why did you pick that? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize there was such a problem with it. Do you like Life Servers? Yes. A bit of money. No. No, okay. No, no. All right. Well. Oh, hey, that's that's uh that's that's the eight minutes. Oh, great. Well, let's let's get down to it and talk about the why you're here. Uh this is very exciting, you know. Uh doctor, we have <clears throat> Dr. Blake Wright, who's the virologist that is uh the leading light in in the the vaccine uh, movement, and let me just ask you, Doctor. I know it's a tall order, but can you briefly tell us what those first few days were like when you were uh, when you realized you were, the search for a COVID nineteen cure was underway? Oh well, you know it's oh uh, God, where to start here? Um, 
Well, I'll, I'll go to kind of the beginning of, of the process. Um, thankfully, we were able to isolate the complete genome of the Wuhan coronavirus from a, CO, uh, from a COVID-19 patient who was a, um, a worker in that seafood market that has become so, so uh, famous. And uh, this was crucial in us mapping out the virus in search of a vaccine. And so basically one strain of SARS-CoV-2 is essentially 29.9 kilobytes, while SARS-CoV and MERS-CoV have positive sense RNA genomes of approximately 27.9 kilobytes and uh, roughly 30.1 kilobytes, respectively. And it's been shown that the genome of, of uh, COVs contain a variable number. It's usually uh, between 6 and 11 of open reading frames, which we, of course, call R ORFs. Now, two-thirds of viral RNA, mainly located in the first ORF, translates to polyproteins, which we'll call PP1A and PP1AB, and that encodes 16 non-structural proteins, while the remaining ORFs encode accessory and structural proteins. Now, the rest of the virus genome encodes four essential structural proteins, including spike glycoprotein, small envelope uh, proteins, matrix protein, and also several accessory proteins, which interfere with the host's innate immune response. And we got to perform some deep metatranscriptomic sequencing on WHCV, which contains 16 predicted NSP. And on the other hand, this is very interesting, WHCV exhibits some genomic and phylogenetic similarity to SARS-CoV, particularly in the S-glycoprotein gene and receptor binding domain indicating the capability of direct human transmission. And uh, I, I don't want to go without saying this. It should also be known that the most encoded proteins of SARS-CoV-2 are similar to regular SARS-CoVs, but there do exist um, certain differences. Do doctor? Doctor? Yes. Can... Um... <clears throat> I, would it be possible for us to go back to talking about Frank Zappa? No. So basically at the protein level, there are no amino acid substitutions that occurred in NSP7, NSP13, um, you know, uh, the matrix, the envelope, or the accessory proteins, P6 and 8B, except in NSP2, NSP3, spike protein, uh, underpinning subdomain, which is, you know, of course, basically R RBD. Uh, hello? Uh, I, I can't. I can't. Another. another. Hang, hang. You got to hang up. I got to hang up on him. Hang up? That, yeah, hang up, please. That was, is going to make me sound... I, I gotta say, I don't know. That was, mm, that maybe makes me sound like the dumbest person alive, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm shallow. I can't handle that. That's just, he, he's, yeah. Well, hopefully that I, what he was saying makes sense in terms of, his uh what he's working on thank you for being a guest we got kim gordon coming up next i'll be right back in 
couple seconds. Pat, play some bed music or something. Welcome back to the best show, and we have a guest. Do I admit? Do I admit the guest? Look at that. I just did it. You just did it. Well, let me just say this, first of all. Usually we get people on this show, and they're it's, it's usually second tier, third tier, fourth tier people. This is a, we got a top shelf tonight. All time tonight, we have on the show, Kim Gordon is here. How are, can you hear me? Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. How are you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Okay. Well, let's see if we can, we'll definitely, look, I'll say this. By the time this is done, you'll definitely know how you're doing. It might not be good. But you'll have, you'll definitely have an idea of how you're doing. And it's just, the news today was such idiocracy that, um, like, the news is depressing every day, but today was just confounding. Yeah. It's, every day is hard. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, uh, challenge to just keep your head up and it keep is. going, keep going forward. Yes, as an American. <laughs> now you've been pretty engaged this year though, in terms of you were doing a lot of, a lot of canvassing, right? Is that what you call it? Um, I was doing so, God, that seems so long ago now. Um, right? That was pretty, that was way back, uh, at the beginning of the year. Right, yeah. Um, Yes, that was, that was actually, um, you know, I learned that by kind of joining in, you can really, um, turn your anger into, you know, something, a moment when you're not thinking about it because you're, you know, talking to people and it, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, but, uh, after Bernie, um, dropped out, I didn't really do any more. Yeah, that would, uh, 
was a, it, I think got a little less uh, inspirational. Indeed. Yeah. But I'll say this. You know, it is, uh, watch the segue on this. You know, it is inspirational. See, that's how you do it is you and your, you've had an incredibly productive 12 months, which is inspirational. You have an amazing new book out and you had an album come out at the end of last year, which, uh, I gotta say, you really, uh, this is a good, this is a good, a creative period for you. Yeah. I mean, generally every day, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything, but I guess I somehow get things done. But the, yeah, the record was, um, uh, I had so much anxiety about going on tour, just putting a band together, things I'd never done, playing with people I hadn't played with. Mm-hmm. Um, having to memorize lots of lyrics after playing improv for 10 years. <laughs> um, sure. And you know, we got to do three dates. Um, and uh, yeah. And then, um, I mean, I'm glad we got to do something. Um, yeah. We came, I came back from Paris the middle of March and um, I've and then, been here ever since. Yeah. Um, and then it all yeah, got shut I, down. The Brazil book somehow got finished. So you were going to do, so you did a couple, a few dates for, for, uh, no home record, which was the album you put out last year, which is right, a right. great record. And you were, you pulled the plug on a whole bunch of stuff that was going to be the rest of your year. Yeah. Well, we were going to go on tour, you know, in Europe and the States. And then actually I was also going to do this, um, um, do a few dates with this Warhol film. With Bill Nace and um, Steve Gunn, John Tuzinski, that we had um, kind of came together as a live improv soundtrack when I had a show at the Warhol Museum last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were supposed to play the Big Ears Festival and a few other places. Um, I mean, that's something that can just always happen. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. If those, if those venues still exist. <laughs> yeah, I was, it's funny. I was just thinking about wondering what, like the Warhol Museum, that's like a five story place. It's one of the, one of my favorite places. And I was just like, man, I hope that is going to be on the other side of all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they'll probably, um, I'm sure that Warhol Foundation will. I don't know. Yeah. There, there's other separate entities, but I'm sure that um, they'll 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 have lots of um, donors. Yeah, and they can always sell a soapbox, which would exactly. kind of cover the cover a year's worth of rent. Um, the storage you know, boxes with detritus in it that was mm-hmm. a daily activity, putting it yeah. in a box and dating it. Now you you have this book out that came out a month or so ago, a couple months ago, no icon. Yeah. And this is, uh, to me at least, and you to correct me if I'm wrong, this, this, it works as a really nice kind of companion to your memoir, which came out about five years ago. Where right. One is, one is you're telling the story and the other one is you're showing your story. And you're yeah, it's kind your- of a visual, um, yeah. I guess memoir, scrapbook. Um, I mean, it's not something I would have 
thought of doing. <laughs> um, they approached me and, um, they, uh, this editor was like, um, oh yeah, we were, you know, wanted to do a, they'd done a book of, with Chloe Savigny and they wanted to do one with us. Mm-hmm. And this icon. And I was like, um, that disturbs me. <laughs> The, the branding of feminism is kind of it's funny. Um, anyway, so um, that's why the title is just no icon. But um, but you know it turned out to be fine. And uh, mm-hmm. you know Japan when we first started going to Japan, we discovered they have all these books of um, celebrities and. Um, but it's like, you know, Jodie Foster and, you know, just like, and they're just pictures and they're mm-hmm. pretty great. Um, and I had a, I remember I had this Blondie book, just a visual book. I forget who did it, but it was sort of great seeing um, Debbie Harry with all her sort of outfits, kind of sweaty and just kind of, you know, they weren't perfect. Like everyone now looks so perfect as performers, um, mm-hmm. you know, at a certain level in the in the business, <laughs> when it's a business, you know, and not like punk rock or indie, I guess. Sure. Um, and anyway, so that that always kind of uh, stuck with me. Mm-hmm. That 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 you had is this kind of like a, a, a uh, an intent behind it would be to kind of show things as they actually were and not kind of. Yeah, and, you know, kind of, or it just sort of gave me um, a bridge to be able to go back and look at pictures that I would have thought were horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's not so bad, or, yeah, that outfit works, <laughs> kind of. Uh, um, well, I mean, it's it's such a beautiful book. It has your, your a lot of photos through the years, has a lot of your art in it, and... uh yeah, it's really it's really an impressive book, and the idea of icons, you kind of de de disempowering that concept. Uh, it's like, well, who who for you are the first people that represented icons to you? Huh. Um. Well, I guess it was kind of um, you know, a mixture of um. You know, like the Rolling Stones, um, the Beatles, people like that, and then Marianne Faithful or Anita Pallenberg and um, mm-hmm. um Yeah, but also people like um you know, Billy Holiday, because I my dad had her records, he had a lot of jazz records, so I listened to I really liked her records and she was so mysterious mm-hmm. um, and, and tragic. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you feel that, uh, that sense of, of uh, mystery and kind of unknow, unknowable sense that famous people icons had for you that it was something gets lost the way with, with uh, the current social media and accessibility um, maybe, <laughs> um, maybe I don't have any more icons. <laughs> okay. 
but I mean, you now are in, you, you are the one who, even though it's called no icon, you, you, you are, there, there are iconic aspects to, to the body of work you have put together over the last yeah. uh, many years. And you, I guess the weird iconicness that I can say, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I kind of, I'm in a certain I lost you there for a second. Um, you know, it's like. Oh, I can't hear you. Oh, did no. you lose me? I did. I lost you for a second. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can. I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, no, I don't know. It's, you know, it's just, um, I don't really, you know, I kind of mostly feel good when I'm just doing something in the moment. So, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of hard to relate to sure. the past in the similar. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, what what has it been like to to realize your sense of power in regard to your means of you trying to express yourself and and the audience's reaction to that? Like over the years because you go from being a fan, you go from being an admirer and suddenly you're the one that people are looking at. Yeah. I mean, is there, do you feel, was there a certain kind of thrill from that, that, or is there kind of like a, 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 a fear with it? Like, what are the feelings that came well, out maybe, of realizing? you know, like, um, yeah, it's just, um, asshole. <laughs> sort of like. Let me just make sure. Are we, Kim, do you just want to call in? Um, sure. Maybe we'll do that because the connection's getting a little, a uh, little wonky and you're cutting out. Okay. Can we, um, send me the number? I'll send you the number. I'll, I'm going to send it to you right now. Hey, where am I at here? Am I on? You are on. Okay. Do we have Kim on the hotline? We sure do. Going to Kim right now. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hey, sorry about that. The way that the world works now is that. Zoom is not always our friend. Yeah, it could be my internet. Oh, this is much better. So, um, yeah, so I guess I was asking you about, uh, I was asking about being somebody who does the shaping of things and, uh, like the, like being on the other side of it after you kind of grow up looking at these larger than life people and then suddenly somebody's looking at you that way. Um, yeah, that that makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think that, uh, there are, um, you know, it opens up opportunities and, um, but, you know, generally, um, the best is not to be Mm self-conscious. So, um, it's, uh. I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to think of it really. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, it's because I guess you're, you, you're not, you are it. You're not observing it. You have to also be yourself while that's happening too. So that's its own, that's its own yeah, reality. Lately that I realized maybe people, um, smile at me because they recognize me not as a person, but as a performer. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, well so you, there was a there must have been a certain amount of like all of that stuff is well and good, or or you have whatever you need to sort through with it. But then when you have to go get back to work and actually go make the next thing, what mm-hmm. like what is that's is that like an unlearning process? What is that like? Um. Well, I kind of you know yeah, I like to sort of forget what I did and um or just um I mean when I made the record I kind of felt like I really trusted the producer um that no matter what I came in with he would make it sound like a song mm-hmm. uh, so I mean it's kind of an interesting experiment and that's really how I looked at it um because I'd never worked with a producer that way, so uh, yeah. yeah. So, so you I, were you were almost like an you were an element of the of the process. Um. Well, not exactly, but I brought elements, and then he brought elements, and um, in shape in shaping it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh. So. Yeah, it was just kind of, um, but I felt like I did have some um, confidence in my influences in the past. Like, like you know, he works, he was, you know, people who make hip-hop records or pop records and stuff. But, but he's, you know, he's he was a fan, and I realized that things that I made me want to start playing music like No Wave in New York, you know, those early dissonant bands and uh, like DNA and Mars and, um, um, you know, Ardo Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of, that music still sounds really modern to me. And so I felt like those are elements that I could, that were just in me, you know, that, I could use and uh, that somehow, I mean, I really didn't know how the record would, would be taken because I don't, sure. you know, the music, I don't really know what the, what the music scene is. It, so. is, it is, it is kind of interesting because that music, like the no wave stuff never really got, like it didn't, it didn't, it, it didn't have a chance to kind of get perverted or kind of, run into the ground because that that was kind of it was a relatively small movement and it kind of was over before it started in a lot of ways right right so it's funny that that stuff is it seems slightly like untethered from uh from a time and a place if you just listen to the music it's not just like it's it's got a weird a weird kind of timelessness to it because yeah it's it's kind of it's not it's not jazz it's not rock music it's that um yeah it really is kind of its own thing um what what was the first of those shows that you remember seeing where your mind was blown uh, well i went to see um suicide and that was that was really mind-blowing you know just seeing alan vega go out into the audience and come up to you and and, and what it was a very small um loft club uh, or performance space mm-hmm. and um yeah that was just kind of mind-blowing and it was mm-hmm. so like minimal and simplistic um 
not simplistic, but you know, minimal and uh, but so explosive. Sure, sure. And did you? Because it feels like what the, they were doing, like like punk was this new quote unquote new thing that came through. But it seemed like there were already rules in place for so much stuff right off the bat. Yeah, it was basically like three chords rock, mm-hmm. like three chord rock, a lot of it. Yeah, so to be a part of the 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 new revolution, to, to like spook the people who thought they were spooking people, is is kind of an accomplishment. Yeah, I think um, it, and I guess when I say three chord rock, I, I'm not talking about the bands at CBGB, it's like television. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking more about. LA or England or something. But, um, yeah, but it's, it's funny because they did coexist alongside that CBGB seat of television and Richard Howell. And a lot of them were artists who came to New York to do art and, mm-hmm. um, um, because you, you came but, uh, to music, you, you were not, um, you were an, you were interested in art first and saw yourself right. as an artist first. Yeah, that's why I came to New York, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seemed um, something for me was kind of an escape from the art world, <laughs> which was in the 80s was becoming um, really, there was a lot of money. Suddenly, like, people were buying art and it was, it, was, it became, it really changed. Um, the art scene really changed in New York in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And being like the idea of doing music was was the, that there was like an immediacy to it, or a, or a, or just an accessibility to it. What was the appeal for you to to start going in that direction? Uh, I kind of could get out of my head, um, you know, with art or anything that you know a lot about. Um, you, you're more self conscious about, it and it's easy to overthink it, and it's just sort of such a head trip and. Whereas, you know, I didn't have any training in music. So, um, aside from, um, improvising in the living room with my brother, <laughs> banging on drums and a piano or something. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, a, in a way, just, I liked it because it was physical and visceral and, um, I'd also done dance as like a teenager, Martha Graham, and I don't know something about it. I liked the physicality of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it, but it was more than that. It was just sort of getting out of my head and um, kind of being excited about something that was. Uh, I I think I just equated it with also being new to New York, and you know, what what was a strange music? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're you're now going into some uncharted territory. But do you, did you always feel the the voices or the presence of the the like the rock stuff that even if you knew you were like that was that's in you it's on some level because you were a, a kid growing up and and kind yeah. of into those bands yeah. even though you're going into new places did you still feel like that like the moves like these are the moves and these are the like that's the kind of like the game of rock music. Um. It took me a long time to feel comfortable with that, actually. Um, but, uh, like, now I really feel it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it took a really long time. <laughs> uh, so you, you finally got there? 
<laughs> yeah. to where now, yeah. The thing about not, not wanting to be overly stylized, you know, mm-hmm. um, or predictable on stage, and that kind of like, um, you know, like it's easy to put your arms up in the air, I don't know, pretend you're like a rock hard god or something, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, some people do that really well. Um, and it's a powerful feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a different kind of energy from like you, like you said, you're, you're always in your head, always in your head. And then there's a thing where it's like, this is as, this is like pure in the moment, uh, stuff when you're on stage. Yeah, suddenly like, uh, if it's, the sound is good, you, you suddenly feel like your body is your head in a way. You know, you're, you kind of feel the audience. Um, are there, are there ever on the other side of it? Are there other, uh, are there moments when you're just like thinking about like what you want to eat after the show and, <laughs> like where you're just when you're not in it, what is that like? Um, yeah, I mean, like being on tour or something, and um, I remember, yeah, with Sonic Youth, and just kind of, um, I don't know, a very long feedback ending or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if this, you know, and the sound not being good, or just having a really shitty gig, um, and just thinking about that book that you're going to read when you get your. Uh-huh. sure but it's so funny that you're up there and somebody's like breathlessly watching kim gordon do her thing and then you're just wondering about whether the uh the hotel is uh, the kitchen is still gonna be open at the hotel afterwards yeah it's it's definitely brings it down to Mm. um yeah so how has the because you're you're You've, you've got multiple books out now and it seems like music comes and goes for you as what's on the front burner. And like what, what, what makes music keep going back to the front burner for you? I don't know. Like I keep thinking I'm going to concentrate on art now and, um, which I have been doing pretty much, but, um, like I kind of accidentally made a song last week with Jay Mascus and Fred Harmison plays bass on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was for, um, this, it's a benefit for a children's hospital that Sub Pop does every year. And I think they're airing it this Saturday on um, YouTube, something. Okay. But it, it's, it's kind of, um, uh, Megan who runs Sub Pop asked us if we would do something for it. And, we, she put the three of us together because we've been on Fred's, his, one of his skits with Ian Rubbish, his last, as we mm-hmm. went about in his last SNL. And, uh, but Fred was immediately like, no way, you know, can I redo that or something? And anyway, so we, you know, we spent an hour on Zoom trying to figure out how to do this. And I finally just said, Jay, just write, you know, write a riff, play the drums and, uh, and he did. He wrote this really cool 
actually it sounds like a really cool Dinosaur Jr. song <laughs> that I got to sing on. And uh, at first I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And uh, it ended up actually coming out surprisingly good, I have to say. And that'll um, that'll be – that's something people can find later this week? Yeah, I think Saturday it's airing. I, I, I don't know what the – site is or it's it's on youtube maybe uh, if you go to sub pop it will tell you about sure it. well if i we'll track it down we'll we'll link it from the show uh social media and stuff so there's a cast of characters mm-hmm. musicians so with speaking of dinosaur jr it's still the i'd say still loudest band i've ever seen has to be dinosaur jr I think uh, the loudest band I ever saw was My Bloody Valentine. Because I feel hmm. like they, there's no, re- I don't know, I just feel like they wanted to be louder than Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> but it, to me, like I saw My Bloody Valentine also, and they were also very loud. And it was, um, but it just seemed like a, I don't know, for some reason it did not make my head vibrate the way. Dinosaur Jr. Yeah, no, I um, I had to uh, sing on stage with with them, and uh, yeah, it was so loud. You know, we, when they had those that week of shows, I forget what anniversary it was, and um, it was I was afraid <laughs> to, to be on stage with them, but it actually it was fine. Yeah, those bands when uh hearing damage. So Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I still feel I'm like, What? What? And I'm just like, uh oh, that was the Dinosaur Junior show coming back to <laughs> I'm paying the price now for a seeing Dinosaur Junior at the wherever back then. Um yeah. So so all of the you you do you work in so many media, different mediums, media. Is there is there an arena that you still want to try anything you, you feel like you could, you, you'd be interested to see how it would go if you, uh, well, I really, um, I'm writing a screenplay with a friend and, um, you know, this sounds like cliche. Yeah. I live in LA. I'm writing a screenplay. Uh (laughs) But, um, no, I, I would like to be involved with making a film. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that will happen. I mean, I've made films, like I made an art film, actually, uh, for this biennial in South Korea, in Busan, that opens like a month ago or something. Um, but I really love film so much. Um, yeah, you, uh, you, um, you've acted in films? Right, you were in the Gus Van Sant movie. The, yeah, a couple of them. You were in. You like so you like you want to now. What do you want? Do you want you want to be a writer? Do you want to direct the? What, what's the? I just kind of maybe want to like I'm you know helping write it and um, you know just um, be involved with as a producer I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Well, that's look. That would be. 
mean, the directoring is so, you know, um, I really admire, I mean, um, oh my God. So the last time I saw you was at Kelly Records screening of a film. That's right. For that was, that was literally as I think coronavirus was on a boat, uh, hovering in the Los Angeles, uh, harbor waiting to shut us down. It was like, that was like days before everything got shut down. Just yeah. waiting to shut the city down. Uh, yeah. but it was, uh, yeah, that was for first cow. That was such a great movie. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I felt bad for Kelly cause she, uh, well, she probably didn't care about ha- having her, her PR trip canceled, but, uh, for the rollout of her movie, cause it's such a beautiful movie to see on a big screen. Yeah. That's the, that's the part that I, I felt bad for her also that people didn't get to see it in a the theater, but I'm glad it's out now and people have all seen it and everybody loves it. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's something so the way she works, it's like every single moment is so deliberate and paced that I almost, I can't stand it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not like a, there's not a false moment in anything she does. Yeah. And the details are so important. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where if it was like, if somebody told you, it's like, well, there's a movie about a uh, two dudes who start stealing milk from a cow. You'd be like, Okay, I don't know about that movie. And then it's just like, then you see it, you're like, oh my God, she, she can take that and turn it into first cow. That's, uh, she's, uh, to me, she's at the, just at the highest level you could be at, Kelly Record. Yeah, she really is. So on the other side of things, what's like, what's some like junky stuff you watch when you're just sitting around? Oh, um, well, I'm gonna watch The Crown. Yes. I mean, that's okay. kind of well-made, I suppose. Um, well, that's like that's like well-made entertainment. That's maybe you'll... That's, well, that's well-made. Um, uh, well, when um, my good friend comes over, sometimes we watch Sex in the City. <laughs> okay. Like yeah. just, like just campier and campier, yeah, more and more ridiculous. Um, just looking back at, you know, what they were wearing and it was always campy, but you know, now it's like insane. So that, that's probably like, I guess the trashiest thing I watch. Yeah. And it's funny when you watch that show and you're just like, she seems so like shocked by everything. And it's like, aren't you a sex columnist? Like how, how are you like so thrown by these conversations when it's her and the other three talking and she seems just like truly flustered. Yeah. It's like, so you so watch you, seen it. Well, sorry. You, so you've watched the show. Oh I, yeah. I've seen every episode of sex in the city. Okay. Sure. I wonder like how men see it or like, you know, it's just, just you know, I mean, it, it's ridiculous of course, but I think, I think even though it's, it's for women, I think, Everybody, I think men alike also kind of project themselves to figure which of the four they are more alike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think everybody, how could you not do that? Cause they cover the four. It's like they are like the four 
Horsemen of the Apocalypse or something. I don't know. They're like the Four Seasons is what they. Uh, that's what I meant to say. They are like <laughs> it. So yeah, I guess I would end up being kind of like kind of like the Golden Girls in a way. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it is like that kind of like. And so, as far as Sex in the City goes, I guess I would be. Miranda, Miranda, I guess. Yeah, I guess I would be Miranda too. <laughs> Maybe everybody thinks they're like a Miranda, like responsible and and just reliable and, and on point work wise. And maybe we're not. Maybe that's like a trap. It's like a psychological test. If you think you're a Miranda, you're not. Maybe. Are you repressed your other sides? Yeah. I don't know. I be maybe if you're a little too gung ho to say which one you are, you're not that one. <laughs> like if somebody's like, "Oh, I'm a Samantha," it's like, "Are you?" Let's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the men in the show are all kind of horrible. I mean, as sure women are, they're the worst. No, the worst. It's, a, it, it's really a bad portrayal of humanity. It's. <laughs> Mr. Big is awful. Mr. Adrian. Best of them, though, I have to say. Adrian, I just couldn't deal with at all. Now, Adrian, who's a, who, it's a, who's your favorite? I, I, look, I like Steve. I have a soft spot for Steve. Uh, I'd best just say Big, even though he's also ridiculous. But he's just so horrible man. Yeah. No, he to me is like the worst. He's the worst of New York. Mr. Big, like that's like, like that kind of guy in New York is what makes people not like New York City. Yeah, I feel like that show actually ruined New York City. <laughs> quite frankly, well, it sold it sold a very unattainable version of living in New York City to people. Like it's not it's I, I it, how many people must have. Like young women move to New York thinking like they want some of that. And it's like, well, that isn't, <laughs> isn't real life. There's none of that here. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't afford an apartment and buy those shoes. No, you can't. Exactly. That and, uh, it's just that, yeah, like you're not going to be working as a, as like a, uh, columnist yeah. and so. Yeah, so Sex in the City, that is the, well, that, look, I, I've logged plenty of miles on Sex in the City. What were the things that made when you, cause you grew up in California, what were the, th- what were the images you had of New York, like the, whatever would have been misconceptions or, or fantasies about what was there before you got there? Hmm. Well, I, um, you know, when I was little, I, had those books, the little, the lonely doll. Have you ever seen those books? No. They're kind of creepy, but um, it definitely. I carried those images with me, and it was sort of of the Upper East Side in Central Park around there, and this doll, and there are photographs in this book that tell the story, and it's this doll, and she meets this little bear, and the little bear brings her home and the papa bear, they're living in this like Upper East Side apartment and the, the lonely doll, uh, the doll, when the father bear goes away, she gets into the jewelry of this 
the house, the woman. You never see anyone else, but mm-hmm. puts all this jewelry on, and the Papa Bear comes home, and he gets she gets in trouble, and he kind of says, "We're going to send you away if you do that again," or something. <laughs> but anyway, this somehow these images they're very existential looking these photographs and specifically like in her dress is this kind of pink checked kind of dress with a little pinafore or something anyway somehow that that was my first image of New York okay. uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you know just movies I guess um, you know uh, just seeing so many movies that you know like you just have, yeah, you have this, you have this image of what it's going to feel like. And then, I mean, it really does. No other place feels like, uh, like New York until you're there to actually see. It's like, oh, this is what the, like the, like the, the temperature of the place is actually like to walk around. Yeah. And actually, when I moved to New York, it all felt very familiar and, um, it reminded me of Hong Kong where I lived when I was 12 for a year and because it was so dense and crowded and noisy and sweaty and hot and humid in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of walking through Chinatown, I, I felt like, Oh, okay, this is, I loved it. Like it just felt, even though I hated <laughs> as a 12 year old, I hated living in Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. I, I, it just kind of hit something and, you know, this is very familiar. Good. You, you had a, there was a phrase you used in uh girl in a band, which I always remember where it was something to the effect that New York is so chaotic and there's so much energy and stuff that it almost unburdens you of your neuroses to a degree. Yeah. Like in LA, because there's no center of gravity and everything just feels like it's floating outwards. It kind of always made me when I'm growing up feeling restless or like I needed to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Not that I still feel like that. But when I moved to New York, I just felt like there's so much activity going on around me that it was almost soothing. I don't know how to explain that. It's like, um, no, it's, it's, it's a real thing and it, it, it's very, no, it makes, not. it makes perfect sense when you think about the movements that, that come from New York. It's just like, I mean, so look, I always think about when like the Velvet Underground came west and just ate it. No one wanted that when they brought their, their East Coast business to Los Angeles. And it's just, it is its own thing. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily translate. Do you miss the East Coast? Uh, I, I would say I miss, uh, pierogies. Uh, I miss pierogies a bunch. But I like, I like Los Angeles. I like being here. Yeah. You've been out here for a while. How long have you been here? For about a year. Okay. I miss, I miss, uh, uh, I'm not going to say like pizza and bagels because everybody's so demented with when they start talking about their pizza talk. That's always like, 
that always makes me want to just be a contrarian and just go like, I like Los Angeles pizza. What? <laughs> they, they, like their heads explode. <laughs> they cannot handle it. What do you remember who, and I'm not trying to just keep going down memories lane, memory lane with things, but it's just like, who are some of the, who are some of the people? Because like you grow up in Los Angeles and there's like a certain relationship to famous people and stuff. And who, well, who are some of those people to you where you're, where you were just like, Oh my God, it's that person. And you're sharing an, or you're in the orbit of that person or sharing a space with that person. Mm. Well, I didn't really have any encounters like that growing up, but I, I did know Bruce Berry. Um, sure. When I lived in Venice, um, our landlord was this Argentinian guy. They lived next door, and he was um, a roadie for Crosby, Sills, and Nash, and Young, I guess. And um, mm-hmm. he and Bruce Berry were both roadies, and so they would, you know, they would come back from tour, and we would sort of go carousing around. And one night. Like Bruce Berry, but I didn't put it together. That he's Tonight's the Night. The song Tonight's the Night, Neil Young song is about Bruce Berry. With Neil, and I was like, oh my God, that song is about Bruce Berry. And, um. And he had overdosed at a point? Yeah, he had overdosed. And, uh. But one night, um. Like we went, we ended up at, um. Four in the morning, or no, it was like sunrise, like at, on the top of some mountain up Mulholland at his, what he said, his brother's house, which is Jan Barry from Jan and Dean. Yes. Um, okay. And, but there was all these rumors like, well, actually, Bruce was his illegitimate son. And da, da, da. But there's basically Jan was sleeping or something, and it was kind of sunrise, and this, woman was walking around topless with like a fringe vest where playing the fiddle. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, that's my brush with, uh, so that was the first one, Bruce, like the, uh, somebody who was connected to Crosby, Stills and Nash and then CSNY. And then just years later, you fit, you piece it together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that's, uh, it's always amazing when you realize that people are just people also with those, yeah. those moments. Because, uh, like, like, how about from a career? You've, you've done so many collaborations over the years. Well, what is that process like for you to just see a person as the person, not the, mm. not the image? Like when you, when it's time to actually get down to work, cause you've, you've done so many things with so many, uh-huh. Iconic people over the years. What's that process? I mean, the weirdest one was um, well, we were supposed to do a song with Cypress Hill, and this—I don't know if you remember that this period in music history when people thought it was a great idea to put rock and rap together. Sure, the Judgment Night soundtrack was a exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm, where they and, were. Um, so I think we sort of decided that after all going there once to the studio that me and Thurston would just 
go in and do something. And anyway, there were many hours listening to just a kick drum <laughs> and uh-huh. love ganja being smoked. Um, and I don't know, it was kind of, you know, we didn't want to do it bad. We don't want to, we didn't want to be the ones to make a bad Cypress Hill record. So we kind of, and we didn't want to do what was sort of expected for us to just put noise guitar on it. So, um, but it was, uh, funny because I can't remember his name, but you know, the guy who does insane in the membrane, you know, um, Yes. Mm-hmm. That'd be real, but the the other, other okay. guy. Okay. All right. Um, he kept saying, be real, kept saying, hey man, come up with something. <laughs> mm-hmm. After he laid down his thing and, and then I went in and this I had an idea for something and he whispered in my ear and I went out and I did something. And so when I did the, the hooky thing, but he was getting, be real was getting mad at, um, God, I wish I could remember his name. Something dark. Let's see. I don't know, whatever. Sure. Um, but it, it was just uh, that was. I know it's it's weird to collaborate with people who you don't know. You know, it's not really like a real collaboration. So, um, like, I feel like what Bill and I do with Bodyhead and our improv duo that's that's a real collaboration. And, um, but we play together so much. We're you know we think of ourselves as a band actually. Sure. Um, and, and that, I, that first album, I just have to say that that first record, especially, just people. If people missed it, that's that's like that's a high water mark in your uh, career. Oh, thanks. That first record is such an amazing raw thing. I, just I was always blown away by that record. Oh, cool. Thank you. No, I mean that stuff. That really means a lot to me. Those. Um, that collaboration and, you know, it's still ongoing. Um, actually, we're supposedly doing a record with, uh, uh, for Three Love for their anniversary. You know that label, right? Which label? Sorry? Three, Three Love Records. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. No, they're, that's a, that's a great label because you mentioned the, uh, the Gun, uh, Trzyski record. Then they put, they put a record out. I think they put a Neil Haggerty record. They put so many things out. They put Kurt, Kurt Vile records out, our friend Kurt Vile. They put something out he did with... Uh, collaborations, like one person will be on one side and one person on another side or one band. And um, sure. So they're having some anniversaries. So he asked me and Bill to do a record. And then we asked Aaron Dillaway. Um, do you know him? He's like... I don't. Kind of part, he, he's from Wolf Eyes. He's sort of part of like... He also does solo stuff. He's part of this sort of... Detroit heavy, although he lives in Ohio, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, kind of noisy in there, um, experimental scene. But so we sent him, uh, we basically, because of COVID, we couldn't really figure out how to record, (laughs) um, together. So we still remembered we had these tracks we'd started when we did our last body head record that we kind of rejected or we just kind of put away and then started over like six months later. He sent those to Aaron. Um, 
And then we also sent kind of individually some more vocal and guitar parts to just do something with, to kind of just mix and fuck with. And Mm -hmm. so, um, very curious (laughs) what he came up with. Um, and Kurt, we both have Kurt in common as one of our good friends. He's the best. Kurt, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I liked, I really liked his last record a lot. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you hear the new EP that he just put out? No, I didn't. It's good. There's a, there's a couple of John Prine songs on it. It's really, and there's a duet. It's really beautiful. He's, uh, yeah. Now, Kurt, one of the most exciting things is getting to watch Kurt go down the road he's going down. Yeah. It's, uh, he uh, matured in a way where I didn't think he, I didn't know he would. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you never know where somebody's going to go, but he, Kurt's a, Kurt's a lifer and he's, he's, uh, it's just exciting to watch him try stuff and, uh, yeah. And he's such a good dude also. Honestly. I mean, uh, what he gets away with, you know, mm-hmm. his lyrics, it's, it's, Pretty he, he's really funny and he's really, uh, he's really honest it, when you, when you just look past the humor or the playfulness, there's so much there. He's really, he's, uh, I love him. I'm so glad. It's nice when you're friends with a really talented person. It's like, yeah. Is yeah. Well, Kim, I'm not going to keep you any longer. This was such a, treat to talk to you and uh yeah i didn't i didn't know what to expect because last time i was on your show (laughs) (laughs) you had gary the squirrel and gene simmons yelling at you that's right (laughs) it's a little different this time uh surprise (laughs) yeah well the and, and the new book is no icon and it's really beautiful and uh I'm so glad you put this together because it really is just a testament to a career and a life. And uh just as a fan, it's exciting to see all of this in one place. So every- oh, thanks so much, Tom. That's so sweet of you. Yeah. And your memoir. Yeah. Coming soon. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kim. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. I hope to run into you somewhere. You well, let's get past the coronavirus, and then I will see you face to face. Okay. All right. You take care. Right. Bye. Mm, that was fun. Kim's the best. Pat. Sir. How we doing? Doing great. Got past the tech stuff. Mm-hmm. You got any calls? We sure do. I'm going to put you on with line four right now. Let's do it. And no, uh, how many lines are lit up? Three. Let's do those three and then they answer that. Yep. Bashel, hi. Hi, Tom. How are you? It's Jessica from Nebraska. How are you doing? I'm looking. I'm good. Welcome, Jessica. What's going on tonight? Thank you. Uh, happy belated Thanksgiving, by the way. I hope you had an all right one. Thank you so much. I did. It was, it's good. And I had a great Thanksgiving. I had a really good friends giving. I had a good threats giving. 
uh, which is the double threat, uh, holiday we celebrate once a year now. Um, oh, I listened to that episode twice. It, uh, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's the, uh, our special tribute to McDonald's. And we will. I did not eat at McDonald's this Thanksgiving, but I have, I have a, a long time ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it, Mc, McDonald's is there for you, Jessica. You don't have to, you get to go to McDonald's. McDonald's does not have to come to you. It will always be there. It's evergreen. Yes. So I see on the social media that you, two years ago, Jessica, you would say basketball. What's that? Who cares? Not for me. But now, <laughs> look at you. I just can't get enough. It's I. <laughs> You're hooked. It's so wonderful. It is. I'm totally hooked. And I, you know, I just dipped in at the towards the middle beginning of the playoffs and I was like, Oh, you know, I'll watch a game. I'll probably be bored. I'll turn it off. I've tried watching football. I've tried watching other stuff. We don't have pro sports here in Nebraska. So, you know, I started watching. Yeah. By the end of that night, I was already ready for the next game and it was bad <laughs> or good. I guess I should say. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm, I'm so excited for this, this upcoming season. Yeah. And I was, I was excited uh, well, not ex- excited might not be the word. I, I was interested to see you, uh, on, on Twitter saying that you were, you were finally wrapping your head around the mentality of a New York Knicks fan. Uh, it's, it was, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It, it really gives me, it, it's such a weird balance of the, they seem to, they say that, you know, this team is horrible. You know, they, they will say every bad thing that you can imagine. Then they take a breath and they're like, but, you know, I love this team and they might have a shot this year. And it's just like, oh, what? This is, this is what it's like. It's the kind of, it's the kind of place where you say, I love this team so much and I want to see them win. And I know the times they've been good and they've been bad for two decades. And, but then like a player will come along and people will be like, I think this is the future and I think we're okay now. And then they're, then they reveal themselves to not be the future. And then it's just like, ah, we suck again. And then, it, then another player comes along and be like, now we're here. We go. Here we go. <laughs> no, it's not. And it's just, it's, that's the experience is it's, it's that over and over and over. But that's all right. I don't know. I think it's, it, there's, there's something about, and I've always felt this way about anything pretty much, but there's, there's a dynamic that under, you know, rooting for the underdog. If you go in, I don't know. It's like, if you're not expecting to win, if things happen, Hey, that's great. But if not, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more fun than just going for the, you know, the people with a million chips already. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, I can deny it as much as I want my whole life. That dumb team is going to have some hold on me. And I want to see them be great in my lifetime. And it, it doesn't seem, I don't, I don't know when this is supposed to happen. I was talking to another 
Knicks fan, they're just like, well, if we get so and so, and then the other, the, we get Russell Westbrook and Gordon Hayward, and then it's like, and then none of them are here, and none of them are going to be on the Knicks, and it's just, it's a sad state of affairs, but it's one of the only teams where the fans truly are like, we believe that we don't believe. And that's kind of where they're at. It's like, we know nothing's going to happen with this, but we believe something's going to happen, but we know nothing's going to happen. And I'm 100% on board. I can't wait. I'll be watching every next game this season. All right. Well, that's your own nightmare. I can't. I know. I know. I know. It's. I don't know why I do this, but I do. So what else is going on tonight? Well, um, at the beginning of the show, and th- that was an amazing interview, by the way, with Kim Gordon. Uh, oh, I bet thanks. You, that was fun. That, I, I bet she really appreciated not getting asked the same Sonic Youth questions <laughs> that she probably usually gets. So, yeah, that was really fantastic. But um, oh, at the, the opening of the show, you were talking about, you know, uh, we're, there's bad apples and good apples out there, and we're all stuck at home, and um, I don't want to... Uh, Step on the toes of the so far podcast because I really I'm a big fan of that. But I was really just curious um, if you had got a chance to listen to the new volume two archives box set yet. And if the so, new young box, I have not. I, ha, I I did not. I ordered it, and I guess I will get one in a couple months. I was not a part of the first shipment for a physical copy. I guess I'll get it in like March. But they did send a download of it that I have not checked out yet but i am very interested because it is a, it is what 74 to 77 i think it's 70 yeah 77 or 76 so it might be yeah it might just be 74 75 76 which is as sweet a spot as it gets for neil young is 74 to 76 and i am very interested in seeing what uh what what is in that box I did think you check it out Oh, yeah, I, I spent the whole weekend um, doing homework and working out and all this stuff, you know, listening to it um, the week it came out because it came out on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's it's super great. Um, I'm super happy with what he did with the kind of revamped on the beach. And mm-hmm. that was a super sweet spot for me. Homegrown's on it, and that Tuscaloosa live album that he already had released on it. So mm-hmm. I was already kind of familiar with those, but um, yeah, I was, I was, what, what he did with On the Beach, because I guess originally he, he was going to have the B side be the A side, and the A yes. side be the B side, which really makes mm-hmm. sense to me, especially when you look at it chronologically from, you know, tonight's tonight, there's this dreary, horrible stuff going on, and kind of, you know, bleeds into the what should have been the A side, but then, you know, the B side starts with walk on and it kinda, you know, gets back into the world. Or at least that's kind of the way I thought about it. Um but he really did yeah, he didn't quite do that. He didn't flip it so easily, but it's it I think you're really gonna enjoy what he did. He added some stuff that Sun released. He changed the running order a little bit and it's it's I mean, it's always gonna be a masterpiece, I think. But I think mm. you're really gonna enjoy it. I can't wait. I cannot wait. All right, Jessica, I'm going to boogie. 
Awesome. Well, thanks. It's been a great show. Have a wonderful night, Tom, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you. You too. I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks. Same to you. Okay, bye. Next call, please. Best show. Hi. Hi. Who's this? This is Tim from Greenbelt. How are you, Tom? T- Tim from Greenbelt. Where's Greenbelt? It's in Maryland. Um, it's outside of D.C. And I think everyone in D.C. knows it because it's like the last stop on the yellow line. So everyone's seen the name. So the last stop is Greenbelt. Yeah. That's cool. What can I do for you, my friend? Well, I just wanted to say that, uh, first of all, I've been listening to the show forever and I've never called before. And I just wanted to thank you for all the years that you've helped, you know, everyone that listens to the show get through what they need to get through and have a couple laughs. And I couple just want- laughs. I've been doing this for 20 years. You got two laughs. <laughs> Well, a couple, couple laughs. A couple laughs a minute. A couple, well, a couple laughs a minute. Well, you got something wrong with you then because you shouldn't be laughing that much. <laughs> and um, I, I also wanted to say that was a great interview. Um, I usually can't sit, I mean, you know, besides your interviews, I, I can't sit through like NPR interviews. That was so good. Oh, I, I, well, thank you so much. She's, she's, uh, 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 very, uh, She's just a legend, and it's somebody who I'm just completely, consistently blown away by that uh, body of work. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Um, I, I actually called tonight with a question for you, or I guess some advice seeking. All right. Um, so I live in a community where a lot of people, you know, everyone's kind of sequestered away here because covid and people here are taking it seriously, so there's not much to do. And put that green belt over your your uh, mat, mouth, right? Yeah, you know when you go out there. And in this town, there's this rule that you know you're not supposed to let cats be outdoor cats. They're supposed to be indoor cats only. And by the nature of cats, it's pretty hard to do. Um. And someone I know has a cat that keeps getting out and it keeps getting noticed by people and people are posting on the Facebook groups. I see this cat, this cat is not supposed to be out here. Um, I just wanted to, to see if you had any advice on a, what to say to the Facebook group to kind of, you know, stop them from caring about this. Or B, what to do. About- oh, so, so there's people are all up in arms that someone's cat is walking around the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, you live in a biodome. What's going on there? How could anybody focus on that? A cat? It's a strange little community. I don't live this in a cat. I saw the cat again. It's guys, it's- the cat, the cat's loose again. They know that cats. Or out there's outside cats. How is this a rare occurrence? Well, I guess that the reasoning is they don't want them killing all the birds. I, I don't know. What, what would you suggest? 
either doing for the cat to, you know, stop it from complaining about not being able to go outside because it's very much, you know, likes to go outside. Or this is what, this is what you do. You ready? I'm ready. You get a picture of that cat, right? Okay. And you put flyers around your neighborhood. It says, Has you, have you seen this cat? And the picture of the cat on it. And then underneath it, it goes, yeah, it's it's a cat. It's walking around the neighborhood. <laughs> Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Plenty of birds to go. There's no way this cat's, this one cat's going to kill all the birds. That is actually great advice. And um, next, you know, the people are going to write about these flyers. So that'll give them something else to. Uh, the wonder who did the flyers. Yeah. yeah. And then you put flyers up. Have you seen this flyer? And it's a picture of the flyer. Oh, my goodness. And you just keep going on and on and on until people are like, they go, all right, fine. We'll stop complaining about the cat. Well, the best part of that is I think it would actually happen like that. It would it would just go on forever. Well, seems like you might have to see what happens. I will. Right, you let I, me know what happens with that. I, I will. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to okay, then goodbye. Hang up on him. Final call? Hey, Tom. Hey, who's this? This is Tom in Atlantic City. Don in Atlantic City. John. John in Atlantic City. Yes, yes, yes. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, my friend. How about yourself? I'm all right. You hanging out at that uh that weird narrow restaurant? Oh gosh, no. What is that place? You know the one I'm talking about. What, what kind of food do they serve? I don't know, like schnitzel. It's like I think it's like a, a, a Bavarian place or something at the end of the end of the boardwalk. Oh man, I, I'm not familiar. It sounds like to me, it sounds like Peter Luger. <laughs> it's not Peter Luger's. <laughs> what can I do for you, John? I was wondering, and I, I, I missed the beginning of the show. I heard you touched on it, the, the, the person of Ezra Jones thing. I was wondering if you saw the fight before it, Nate Robinson against one of the, uh, the YouTube brothers. The Logan it's Jake Paul. No, I was talking about it. I talked yeah. about this. It's a travesty. Yeah, I mean, he got, like, annihilated, right? Look, I didn't see it. I can't watch that stuff. My mom won't let me watch fights. Um, I get it. I had to watch it in my basement. Why, your mom? Yeah, my dad, too. He's an ex-cop. You ever fight your dad? Uh, I mean, to fight, yeah. Verbally fight, no. Oh, so you didn't verbally fight him, but you did fist fight him? It's usually the opposite. No, I looked him dead in the eyes, and we both knew we were going to go at it. So, could you? Did you take him? <laughs> Who won the fight? It's hard to fight a cop. He'll arrest you at the end of the fight, right? Yeah, he brutally lost the fight. You beat your dad, and he handcuffs you. Did <laughs> you just beat a cop up? Oh, an ex-cop assaulting an officer. He'll still bring you in. He'll call one of his buddies. 
You go, oh, look, John, between you and me, what's the worst thing your dad ever did as a cop? Oh, man. Like, one time? What comes home? What comes home? What comes home? We'll pull a little envelope with cash, right? One time he fought a kid that was, like, you know, young. Then that kid was me. All right, hang up on this guy. This guy's driving me nuts. He's got his own comedy show worked out here. Where are we at, Pat? Calls blocked. Good. I want to say this. We're working through the tech stuff. I appreciate it. I appreciate Pat, and I appreciate Jason, I appreciate Brett. Everybody's working hard to keep the best show going, and we're working the bugs out. And before long, there ain't going to be no bugs. It's going to be like Creep Show, E.G. Marshall and Creep Show. Wait, no, there were bugs in that. He got consumed by the bugs. Forget that. It'll be like something without bugs. And I say to you, if you want to support the best show, you get that new best show sticker, patreon.com slash the best show. Everybody at the $5 or more level this week will get a new sticker, American flag best show sticker. Patreon.com slash the best show. And you go to, where do you go to? I don't know. You go to patreon.com. Patreon.com slash the yeah, best okay, show. Yeah, that's what I just said. Hey, this guy. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to get so much grief. Hey, man. Hey, man. It's Jason. I, I kind of didn't get enough airtime this week. <laughs> I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I'm Am already, I wrong? I've already drafted the text. It's. Am I wrong, Pat? It's a couple of texts. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if, if, if you were talking or if, or if Jason was back on. I got a little confused. Mm-hmm. Look, that's how they do it in West Virginia. <laughs> you gotta give me airtime, Tom. <laughs> uh, is that Tom or is that you? Hey, man. It's me, Jason. Okay. This is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, how's it going, Pat? That's that's Tom. Okay. No, look, Jason's from. He's he's simple. He's become mining folk. <laughs> they this is how they do it when they're down in the they're down yeah. in the company. They got the company bucks yeah. that the the mining company gives them. They don't get paid in U.S. currency. Canaries. What's that? We got our, we get paid in canaries. Yes, they get paid in canaries and anything from the, from the, from the general store. Yeah, they you could, get, they could get new jumpsuits, little work <laughs> uniforms. You can't shop at Kmart. It has to be at the general store. Yeah. I, I'd love to shop at Kmart, but I can't. Oh boy, I wish I could. These, these, uh, mining bucks don't work here. <laughs> Uh, I guess I could work for you guys for a bit, and maybe that would let me get one of these Baby Ruth bars. What could I do to get – how much work would I have to do uh, to get one of them Baby Ruth bars? And be like, well, I don't know. You could apply for a job here. Be like, so do I, like, dig dig for my for, for coal? 
here at the Kmart? How does that work? Like, no, it's literally you'd work at the store, sir. All right, well, where, where are your hard hats and your, your mining helmets? Sir, you won't do any mining. If you work here, you will just work as an employee of Kmart. Well, I'd like to work here, and uh, I'm pretty good down in the hole. I just want to say I'm fine being the first one down. No, I, uh, look, you'll get more airtime next week. Thank you. I, I, I deleted the texts. Keep your drawers on. All right. All right, my friends, I'm going to wrap it up. The be- The show that never ends is ending tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will be back next week. And maybe, I don't know, do we have out? We don't have outro music, do we? I have I have um some that bumper music cue. Why don't you play it? Why don't you play it? Here we go. Thanks everybody. Bye.